1: Now, I want to continue on, and today I'm going to address how Satan deceives people, especially how Satan deceives through religion. Now, a lot of people would say, well, isn't that isn't Satan off limits to religion? In other words, why would the creator of God allow Satan to deceive in the area of religion? Isn't that counterproductive? Okay? Well, you have to understand what God, the, the human heart, and the human willingness to deceive ourselves. Once you understand how deceptive the human heart can be and our willingness to deceive ourselves, then you can understand. Our, when you understand our proclivity, our potential for self deception, then you will understand why God allows. Satan to deceive through the area of religion. Now in Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 9, it says, Even he whose coming is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Okay, this religious system, this satanic religious system, has power, it has signs, and it has lying wonders. Now A lot of scriptures identify this as the Antichrist. Now, what we need to understand is Satan is at the head of this religious system. And the mistake that a lot of people make is when they think of the Antichrist, they think, well, that's just an end time event. You know, the spirit of Antichrist. uh, They think it's just solely for the end time. No, that's not what your Bible says. In 1 John 2 and verse 18, it says, Little children, it is the last time. And you have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now, what you need to understand is this. These words were spoken, when he refers to the last time, the last days, these words were spoken 2,000 years ago. You know, all generations of people have believed, at least all religious people, seem to believe they are living in the last days or the last times. Well, it was so the Apostle Paul believed he was living in the last days. But this was 2,000 years ago, and here we are 2,000 years later believing that we are right at the brink of the return of Jesus Christ to this earth to save mankind from destroying himself off the face of the earth. But notice what he said 2,000 years ago. He says, he says, Now are there many, right now, are there many antichrists? That was 2,000 years ago. So if there were many back then, well, there's many today. Okay. Now, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10 says, And with all deceitfulness of unrighteousness in them that perish, now we're talking about a group of people, religious people, who are perishing Now, why are they perishing? Well, It answers that question. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So, where do you go to find truth? Well, you go to church, supposedly, to find truth. But there are many people in church who do not have a love for the truth. You might know of some of them. In fact, you might be one of them. (laughs) Uh, Don't kid yourself. Now, we're talking about why God would allow Satan to deceive through religion. And the answer is because there are some people who do not have a love for the truth. Let's continue on. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 11. And for this cause, because they don't have a love for the truth, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, here we come to the underlying motive. They have pleasure in doing the thing that they really know is wrong. Okay, that's the underlying motive. They want to keep doing something that the Bible uh, says don't do. Okay. But they want to do it anyway. And so they have a love, they are lacking a love for the truth and they want to believe a lie. They want to believe a lie about theology, about the way God views certain things. Okay. Now, how does this work? Well, it's very simple. If you want to keep living in sin, you develop a no-law theology that goes something like this. The law's been abolished. It's been nailed to the cross. It's been fulfilled. It's been done away with. It's mosaic. It's for Israel only. Uh, Grace plus nothing. There's nothing you must do. Just believe. Just accept. Just raise your hand. That's all you got to do. You develop a no-law theology. And because of this false theology, you can justify your sin. Are you with me? Because of a false theology, you can, in the end, justify your sin. We're talking about people who do not have a love for the truth and want to believe a lie. Now, in Christianity, uh, this is called antinomianism or antinomian. An antinomian is one that takes the principle of salvation by faith and divine grace to the point of asserting that the saved are not to follow the moral law contained in the Ten Commandments. Now you might now, might ask the question, okay, have we done this? Uh, have we so focused on salvation by faith and divine grace that we have come to a point where we believe that we're not bound or to follow the moral law contained in the Ten Commandments? Have we done that? Well, Jeremiah 7 and verse 9 seems to answer the question. It says, Will you still murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and burn incense unto Baal and walk after other gods whom you know not? And then come, verse 10, Jeremiah 7 and verse 10, and come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say we are delivered to do all these abominations? So yes, I mean, that's exactly what we're experiencing today. We are delivered, delivered from what? The law of God. To do all these things that we really want to do anyway, and therefore we develop a no-law theology that says the law has been abolished, been nailed to the cross, been fulfilled, been done away with, so that we can do whatever we want to do. Now, today we are reaping the results of this teaching. Lawlessness is everywhere. We are on the brink of the breakdown of our society because of this antinomian teaching. Uh, now, so, so why would it surprise us when we see rioters breaking in Walmart and stealing, just cleaning the place out? Why, do we, why does it bother us when we see people stealing, murdering, doing all these things? But it's a lawless, they have no morality. If you walked into these people and said, do you know you're stealing something that's not yours? It, it, it wouldn't even register. It wouldn't even register. Why? Why is that? Now go back and think about this teaching that has existed for fifty or sixty years. This no law theology that is coming from our churches. I mean, what else are there? Now I'm not totally blaming the church. I mean, there's other things like child rearing and dysfunctional family systems and your peer pressure and people you hang out hanging out with the wrong group and all that. But when when you have a no law theology, what kind of results do you expect it to have on society? Do you expect them, when you have a no-law theology, do you expect them to be law-abiding citizens? No. And this is coming from church. This is coming from religion, for pity's sake. Okay, now I talked about how Satan deceives. First of all, Isaiah 14, verse 14, let's identify who Satan is and what his goal is and what his motive is. He said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan says, I will be like the most high i'm going to have my own religion i'm going to have my own way of worshiping god he wants to be like the most not opposite not different not totally uh, different than god he he says i'm going to be like the most high now there are two deeply religious spirit beings out there the dark side and and the good side so why do we always contribute everything to god when we see some buffoon on on tv acting like a clown, doing something stupid, why do we, you know, some kind of faith healer, knocking people upside the head, why do we con- contribute that to God? When we hear of corruption in the ministry, uh, why do we always contribute that to God? It may just, he may just, the, the, it may be the dark side of religion. It may be this being that has infiltrated churches called Satan, who says, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. He has his own counterfeit religion, is what I'm saying. And we should not contribute every negative thing that we see in religion to God. Chances are, he didn't have anything to do with it. There's another deeply religious being out there called Lucifer, light bringer. Satan, the devil, who says, I will be like the Most High. Okay, how does Satan deceive? His plan of deception is laid out in Matthew. It's the temptations of Christ. And I'm surprised that this is even written down for us. I'm surprised he gives us this information. This information is is here for us because it reveals a lot about how Satan deceives the masses. Matthew 4 and verse 3, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if you be the son of God, Command that these stones be made bread. Now, here's, here's Satan coming to Jesus and saying, I want you to perform a miracle. I want you to do this miraculous miracle. Change these stones into bread. So the first way Satan sets out to deceive people is what I call supernatural phenomenons. Do you believe all faith healings are real? Do you? If you do, then why don't they go empty a hospital? I mean, if they're real, why does it have to be on television, behind the camera where everyone's acting like an an idiot? Why don't they go clean out a hospital if you think it's real? Why have they never gone to a hospital and cleaned it out? Can they only work behind cameras? Is that the only way they'll work? You know so supernatural phenomenons, miracles. And so many people are just carried away by this. And they don't realize that in the Bible, that when God performed his miracles on the Egyptians, that the magicians were able to duplicate many of those miracles through a satanic force. Let's pick it up in Exodus 8 and verse 7. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. So God brings up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Well, the sorcerers, the magicians, under the power of Satan the devil, was able to do the exact same thing, bring up frogs on the land. Exodus 7 and verse 11. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, and they did also in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became a serpent. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rod. So here is another supernatural miracle. You cast down your staff in your hand and it turns into a snake. And the magicians, the sorcerers, under the power of Satan, was able to duplicate the exact same miracle water into blood was another miracle they were able to duplicate under satanic power the magicians the sorcerers were able to duplicate those miracles so i'm just saying you got to know the source where it's coming from when you see something on tv and you think wow that's got to be of god not so not so at all not so at all And the problem is, so many people are so desperate for something to validate their faith, they will believe anything that comes in the form of a miracle. I mean anything. They are so desperate to validate their faith, which tells me they don't have any faith. If they had real faith, if they had real obedience to the law of God, they wouldn't need some miracle to validate their faith. They could just have their faith. Okay. So the first way Satan sets out to deceive is supernatural phenomenons, miracles. Okay, the second way, uh, Matthew 4 and verse 5, Then the devil takes him up into the holy city and sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written. Now here Satan starts quoting the Bible. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. Now, yet, Now you have to be a very uh, careful and study this for yourself. What he's quoting is in the Old Testament is Psalms 91 and verse 11. And he omits the part where it says they shall keep thee in all your way. He omits that. There are slight variations. He doesn't He quotes the Bible out of context. Now, if you don't know your Bible, you're not going to know this. If you're not going to compare these two, Matthew 4 and verse 6, with Psalms 91 and verse 11, if you've never gone back and forth and compared that, you're not going to know the clever little bit of deception where he quotes the Bible out of context. So, one of the ways he deceives, and deceives through preachers, is taking Scripture out of context. Statements like just believe, I'm sure just believe is in the Bible, but when you take it out of context, you know, statements like grace plus nothing, the law's been abolished, law's been fulfilled, we're not under the law, faith plus nothing, you know, when you take these phase, phrases out of context, you are deliberately deceiving people when you don't read the rest of the text. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Ephesians 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you've listened to a thousand preachers, probably 999 never quoted the next scripture. They always stop right there. Not of works. Salvation, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you read a hundred Christian books that quoted this scripture, they didn't continue on and quote the rest. They took it out of context. Let's read the next verse, Ephesians 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Notice, we are God's workmanship, and we're created for good works, which God has ordained that we should walk in them. But you see, the way Satan deceives is these little one-liners that people hear, you know, that, that, that people will spout out, well, the law has been fulfilled, and, and don't, they don't study what the Bible has to say about the law of God. They don't study it in its full context. And this is the, the second major way Satan sets out to deceive. Third temptation, Matthew 4 and verse eight. Again, the devil takes him up into an exceeding high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of, of them and says unto him, all these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now this next point is fascinating. Because Satan is deeply religious, He wants to be worshipped. Satan is the most deeply religious being you will ever meet. In fact, there are two deeply religious spirit beings. The dark side, Satan, and the good side, God. And I might even go as far as to say this. Satan doesn't even mind you worshipping God. He just wants you to worship him in the wrong way. In vain do they worship me. Jesus talked about that. People who truly wanted to worship God, but they were doing it in in a vain way. They had pagan holidays that they worshiped God with. You know, they had all these rituals and things that were not really even in the Bible. They had belief systems that were not in the Bible. They had a no-law theology that was not in the Bible. And so they worshiped God in vain, all in vain. So, three ways Satan deceives. Number one, supernatural phenomenons. Two, taking scripture out of context. And just the fact, the third one, that he desperately wants to be worshipped. And there's a high probability of people worshipping God in a vain way that doesn't lead to a true relationship with God. So how not to be deceived? How can I possibly discern between Satan's religion and God's church? How do you do this? Because it is a great challenge to know the difference between the two. Well, the first way is Isaiah 8 and verse 20. It says, "...to the law and testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them." This verse doesn't say there's a little bit of light. It just says, "If "...to the law and testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. You want to check up on your church and see if the end results of your church is a no law theology. You know, and all you got to do is just ask some questions. Ask what is your view toward the law? Do you believe the law's been fulfilled, done away with? Do I need to keep the law of God? And you know, you could ask about and not just nine of them, all 10 of the commandments. You know, Do I need to keep the Sabbath day? Chances are, if you ask that question, you will begin to hear a no-law theology being preached right in your face. If you do, get out of there. It's not a true representation of the church of God. Exodus 20, verse 8, how not to be deceived. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your works, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it you shall not do any work. You know, the Sabbath is the identifying sign that identifies. I mean, let me just give you an example. If I mention there were, the, there were the tribes of Israel, most of those tribes of Israel got lost. There's only one that never lost their identity, and that's Judah. Why? When I say Judah, who do you think I'm talking about? The Jews, okay? The reason they never that tribe never lost their identity is because they never broke with the seventh-day seventh Sabbath okay, it identifies, the Sabbath identifies the God that you worship. A church that only keeps nine of the Ten Commandments is lying to you. They're lying to you. And if you're okay with being lied to, then that's between you and God. But they're lying to you. Ezekiel 20 and verse 19, I am the Lord your God. We're talking about how not to be deceived. Walk in my statues and keep my judgments and do them and hallow my Sabbaths, they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. What a treasure we have in God's Sabbath. The Sabbath is what keeps us from being, losing sight of who God is. It's, it's what keeps us from being deceived. The holy day, the Sabbath's plural with the S on the end, speaking about the holy days of God, which are all about Jesus Christ. Why would any church not keep the holy days that are all about Jesus Christ. How not to be deceived. You have to understand that Satan's greatest agenda is to keep you from receiving the Spirit of God. Because you see, once you receive the Spirit of God, you're out of his domain. And that is his greatest agenda, is to keep you from receiving the Spirit of God. And one of the biggest deceptions out there is the misunderstanding that there's a huge difference between God's Spirit working in you and through you and receiving the Spirit of God. There is a way to receive the Spirit of God. You see, a lot of times when the Spirit starts working with people, and in the Old Testament it worked with, the Spirit became upon, came upon a man and he prophesied, he did this, he did that. The Spirit works with people today. And what people often do is because they feel or know the presence of the Holy Spirit, they know that it's working through their lives, they assume they have the Spirit of God. Nothing, the reason the Spirit works through a person is to lead you to the point where you receive the Spirit of God. And there is a way for you to receive the Spirit of God. Now i want to offer you these three pieces of publication here. First of all, how to receive the Spirit of God. This will tell you step by step the process For receiving the Spirit of God. Second piece, should you be baptized? Because that's where it all starts with baptism and receiving the Spirit of God, having hands laid on you for the the receiving of the Spirit of God. Also, baptism counseling, what you should have known before being baptized. There is so even if you've gone through all of this, baptism, there are things that you should have known before being baptized. You want to make sure that you have the Spirit of God. Because if you don't, the Bible says this, if you don't have the Spirit of God, He is none of His. That's the identifying sign of a true Christian, Christian. And that is, if you have the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. Not that the Spirit is just working in your life, but that you have gone through the steps to receive the Spirit of God. Where God's Spirit unites with your spirit and a new creature In Christ starts to develop order the material it's free of charge I'm David Freeman with is that really in the Bible
0: is it possible for you to change a desire that you know is wrong is it even possible to change the man or woman in the mirror and if so how are we simply stuck with our emotions feelings bad habits with no hope of ever rising above them? Your Bible says, God gives his Holy Spirit to them that obey him, which means change is possible. Learn the step-by-step process for receiving the Spirit of God. Order your two free magazines, Why You Need the Spirit of God and Should You Be Baptized. Having the Spirit of God makes the impossible Possible. Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, check us out on the web at Is That Really In The